Well, we started a new series last week on evacuation of the church. We're going to be looking at the removal of the church. And what a blessing it is to know that Jesus Christ could come any moment. Amen? Basically, he could say, ready or not, here I come. Well, I'm ready. I mean, ready. I look around, see this mess, and I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Praise the Lord. And I'm excited. I told someone in a convenience store here a while back, the Lord was about to come, and they said to me, that scares me to death. And I said, you must not be ready, because if you're ready, it's not scary. If you're ready, it's exciting. Amen. The coming of Jesus Christ, what a blessing. He's coming in the clouds of glory, and we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. I'm going to be talking out of First and Second Thessalonians tonight, and um, basically we're going to pretty much stay in First Thessalonians. So we're going to be in the uh, the big T books in your Bible: First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. Easy to find. Just go to the big T books in your New Testament, and you're there. We'll be in the First Thessalonians and looking at chapter one. And uh, I'm going to read one verse to you, and then we're going to get into some introduction. Then we're going to look at some things that will, I believe, excite us. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the last verse of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. If you back up to the sentence, the last sentence of verse 9, it says, we have turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Now, if you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have turned from sin to serve the living God. If you have never turned from your sin to serve the living God, then you're not ready for this next verse. Verse 10 says, but to wait and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I want to use for a subject, of course, um, the removal of the church. You may be seated. I share some things with you concerning the two books, First and Second Thessalonians, because it's important that you understand that you don't get these two books clashed together because if they clash together, you're going to not be able to understand the eschatology of the coming of the Lord. First Thessalonians is about the removal of the church of Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians, this book is about Jesus coming for his church, his blood-washed ones. Second Thessalonians is about Israel and King Jesus returning to earth to take care of the mess that Israel is in today and the big mess that she will be in in the days ahead. Jesus will come to the mess that is in Israel, and he will conquer King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will set up a kingdom there on earth, and we shall be his bride." The most valuable possession that I have 
is my wife, Judy. And the most valuable possession that Jesus has is his church. We are valuable because we have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are valuable because Jesus has invested in us, when I say we, the church, Jesus Christ has given his all to us and, and changed our lives, forgave us of our sins, died on the cross of Calvary, was buried in the tomb, Jesus Christ. And I said Sunday night, that um, the heart of the earth wasn't the grave. You need to understand that when Jesus Christ went into the tomb, he went much deeper down. He went way down into the bowels of the earth to set men and women free. And he did raise again from the dead. He is a risen Savior. And we can rejoice in the fact that he has raised, that he has been raised from the dead. But let me repeat, 1 Thessalonians it's about Jesus coming for his church, the blood-washed saints of God. Second Thessalonians is about Israel and the mess they're in and the Antichrist. In fact, if you look at uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, it only has three chapters. But in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 1 talks about Jesus coming, taking vengeance that, on them that know not God. It talks about him coming and consuming fire. That first chapter about Jesus being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In the second chapter, in the second Thessalonians, he talks about the mystery of iniquity. Do it already work. He talks about the wicked one, the man of sin, the false prophet, the false Christ, the antichrist, and how he would try to rule the world through his force of judgment and wickedness and how God will destroy him with the brightness of his coming, that is, his coming to Israel. He will literally destroy him with the brightness of his coming. He's already destroyed him with the brightness of his coming in my life. The devil is destroyed. There's many antichrists in the world today, but let me tell you, if you're a true born-again, blood-washed child of God, there ain't no spirit of antichrist that can deceive you because you are a child of God. The third chapter of 2 Thessalonians talks about how we should live to the end of the age. It talks about common ways, things that we should live, spiritual living, right living. But it is 1 Thessalonians that deals with the removal of the church. Now in this 1 Thessalonians, there are five chapters. And each chapter has a special verse about the removal of the church, about Jesus coming again. Each, each verse in each chapter, there's a, there's a verse in each chapter, there's five chapters, and each verse in each chapter, one verse in each chapter, shares with us the beauty of Jesus Christ coming and a promise to us. I read the first one to you in verse 10 as we got up and read a moment ago how we have turned from idols and, and we've turned from sin to, to follow, to serve the living God. And no matter how the storms get, wait. No matter how the pressure gets, wait. No matter how dark and how oppressed one may become, wait. Wait 
for Jesus Christ, his son, God's son, from heaven. The word is put, put simply like this, and to wait for his son from heaven. His son in whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus that delivered us from the wrath to come. So I just want to say when the devil's messing with me, I just say, you just wait. Amen? When, when I get impatient, I say to myself, wait. To the coming of the Lord, wait, because everything can change in the twinkling of an eye. Everything can change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, the catching away of the church, the removal of the church, in fact, the church was um, in many ways concealed, hidden in the Old Testament. The church um, in the Old Testament was, um, it was alluded to occasionally, but basically the church was hidden in the Old Testament. And, and the Old Testament just slightly alludes to the church. Jesus comes along and he says, yeah, there's a church, blood-washed church, upon the belief that I'm the Son of God, upon this rock, believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the eternal Son of God, upon that rock, Jesus Christ said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And Jesus just spoke it very clearly that he was going to build a blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled, sovereign, a mighty, powerful church guided by the sovereign God. But even Jesus slightly alluded to the rapture. He just slightly alluded to it. He alluded to it in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. There it is. There it is. There it is. He alluded to it. He even slightly alluded to it at the tomb of Lazarus when he raised Lazarus out. Remember John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26? I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. Resurrection of the dead. And whosoever believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He's alluding to the rapture. And whosoever believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Well, I believe it. Amen. I believe it. I believe there's going to be some people that's going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and they will never, ever die. Jesus alluded to it also in his um, all of discourse and uh, when he was sharing the end time concerning. He alluded to it in, uh, in Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy. Well, Jesus is the only one that can make you worthy to escape all the things which, that shall come up to pass and shall stand before the Son of Man. Well, who's coming back? The Son of Man coming back. He's coming back to get his children. And so that verse also alludes to the removal of the church before the great tribulation period. Even the Old Testament slightly alludes to the rapture. They didn't know rapture. In fact, that word probably wasn't in existence during that time. There was other words. 
um, you know, harpazo, and that was a Greek word, harpazo, and, and uh, rapturous. And we're not talking about Jurassic Park here. We're talking about rapture. Amen. But uh, the Old Testament alluded to it some. They didn't have a clue. And how many know the Old Testament's coming alive now? I mean, Zechariah is absolutely bulging out saying, look at me, look at me, look what I wrote, look. Zechariah is full of information about what we're seeing today. Those are signs to the coming of Jesus to Israel. There are no signs to the coming after his church. Jesus could come at any moment in the twinkling eye, and we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. So there are no signs to the church being removed. The church could be removed at any moment. We're not looking for signs. We're looking for Jesus. We're not waiting on signs. We're waiting on Jesus. We're not, we're not uh, gazing into, into uh, the Middle East to try to figure out when Jesus is coming. We know when he's coming. He's coming when we know not a, uh, in an hour we think not. That's when he's coming, when everybody, you know, they're, they're, they're busy building and eating and drinking and giving in marriage and they're ignoring the gospel. Now, I mean, you know, there's a lot of folks ignoring the gospel today. And he's going to come at a time when you think not. Verse 10, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath of God. Waiting for Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Now, in the Old Testament, the church was a mystery. A mystery is to be discovered. And Jesus Christ revealed that mystery. They allude, allude to the people being taken without dying in the Old Testament. It's alluded to. And then, even after Jesus ascended back to heaven... The catching away of the church was a mystery. And Paul was the one that finished up giving us the information of what that mystery was and that we should not all sleep, we should be changed in a moment of the twinkling of an eye. That's the mystery. Now, when a mystery is revealed, it means it's been there all along. Hello? It means it's been there all along. It just nobody figured it out. And Apostle Paul gave us the mystery of the catching away of the church. It was alluded to by Jesus, alluded to by Old Testament. We're going to look at a verse in the Old Testament that, has a, uh, that alludes to the catching away of the church. But first I want to share these five verses in 1 Thessalonians. The first one is chapter 1, verse 10. We're to wait. Wait. And we are delivered by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, wait for his son from heaven, meaning Jesus is coming back, whom God, his father, raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You say, what's the wrath to come? Well, the wrath to come there is not hell, because hell has already came. The wrath to come there is the wrath of God. It is when God will pour out his wrath upon this planet for God-rejecting, God-hating, 
and hating um, the Jewish people, hating one another, the vengeance of our God will come. But we as children of God are not subject to the wrath of God. Isn't that beautiful? Chapter 2. I'll show you another verse, and it is verse 19. And it is the crown of rejoicing. Verse 19 says, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? I mean, we're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ at his coming. Woo, what a glorious day that will be. Man, you talk about shouting on the clouds of glory. That'll happen. You talk about people thrilled after they get over the initial shock that they're there. They'll be shouting and praising God. Amen. Amen. The truth is, when we're caught up to meet Jesus Christ in the air, many of us will be startled. We won't be surprised. We know that he's promised to come to get us, but we will be startled. And once we're startled, we'll begin to begin to shout and praise God and give God. We'll have to shout to settle ourselves down. Amen. Some of you shout to get yourself riled up. But when you get, when you get caught up to meet Jesus in the air, you're going to have to shout and sing and praise God to settle yourself down because you've been taken up. The Bible says they'll be, we'll be crowned with rejoicing. That's a promise. Amen. Isn't that good? Crowned with rejoicing. At his coming, there will be such a presence of God. The Bible says that are not we even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. I tell you something else. We're not only going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ at his coming. We're going to be in the presence of our loved ones that's gone on before us that know Christ. We're going to be in the presence of Loved ones that have died, sleeping Jesus, they're sleeping Jesus, and we're going to be in the presence of those that have gone on in this church and your family members that knew Christ. You're going to be in a, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be beside myself when I see my brothers and my, my mom and dad, and, and, and I see my, uh, those I loved and the people that have left this church prematurely as far as I'm concerned. I don't care if they're 100 years old. It's still premature. But anyway, I, I'm going to be happy. I, it, it'll be a great gathering. Amen. The reason we're gathering in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air because, well, God didn't have a big enough room for all of us. He had to have a big open air meeting. Hello. Woo, praise the Lord. Be no storm clouds, just glory clouds. We'll be blessed and we'll be rejoicing and we'll be beside ourselves and we'll be so excited because the Lord's going to come and we're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And not only in the presence of Jesus Christ, but we're going to be in the presence of those we love that have died in Jesus, that sleep in Jesus. We'll see them again. Woo, that just makes me thrilled. We'll see them again. And you're not going to see them when you get to heaven. You're going to see them before you get to heaven. If they're catching away at the church takes place, you're going to see them in the clouds. Do you really think, do you really think that your wife or your husband that's gone on to be with the Lord and their body sleeps, do you really think they're going to wait back at heaven for you to show up? No, they're coming along. They're going to say to Jesus, you ain't going without me. I'm going with you. 
Amen? I'm going with you. And the Bible's very clear that Jesus Christ is going to bring them with him when he comes. And that's a promise in this chapter 2, a crown of rejoicing. I love that. And, and where you put a crown? You put it on your head. Right? And everybody knows our biggest problem is our head. Amen? We'll have right thinking when we get crowned with rejoicing. Amen? You show me someone that's always murmuring and complaining, always sad and always down. They got problems in the head. But you show me someone that's thrilled and happy and loves Jesus Christ, and they're always upbeat, they're crowned with joy. They don't have no problems in their head. If they do, they're not bringing it to church, and I'm glad for that anyway. Third verse, third chapter, third verse, third chapter. This is a good one. Not that they're not all good, but this is powerful. Verse 14. Third verse, no, 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 let me back up. I have third verse, verse 14. Where am I? Did I miss my verse? Huh? 3.13. Okay, thank you guys for helping me preach. Amen. Thank you. Oh, you cheated. You're dumb as I am. But anyway, verse 13, to end he may, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in all holiness before God. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's he with? All his saints. And when it says all his saints, he's talking about all of his born-again saints. You know, there's different saints. There's, there's Old Testament saints. There's tribulation saints. There's millennial saints. There's um, those that are going through the time of, of Jacob trouble saints, and then there's the born-again saints. And he's talking here about you and I, the born-again saints, the church. And he said, at his coming, he will bring with him all his saints. And that doesn't mean the Old Testament. It means all your born-again friends. Now, all the church is coming back with Jesus. Amen. Isn't that good? I love that, don't you? Christ will complete our hearts. I said Christ will complete our hearts. Number one, he will complete our hearts and make them unblameable. He will complete our hearts and make us holy in all holiness before God. We'll look good before God. He will complete our hearts and he will complete our life and he will encourage us, and when he completes our heart, and completes our life. I mean, no, I don't have to, to spend time trying to, to um, um, debate with you on this or apologetics about this. There's pieces of your heart missing. Am I correct? There's pieces of your heart missing. 
There's pieces of your, your memory missing. There's pieces of your life missing. But when Jesus Christ comes, he is going to complete our hearts. He's going to make our hearts complete. We'll know as, as we should know. We'll have healings. We'll have blessing. We'll have remembrances. We'll, we'll, we'll be holy. We'll be pure. We'll be right with God. We'll be spotless before God. We will have our hearts healed at his coming. At his coming, all confusion will go. At his coming, all pressures will go. At his coming, all sickness will vanish. At his coming, all losses will go away and you'll gain. At his coming, you'll have joy unspeakable. Full of glory, at its coming, you'll have your loved ones restored. At its coming, you'll be taken away from the wrath of God. At its coming, God is going to give you a complete heart. Christ will complete our hearts. With the help of you, I'll share the fourth verse. Christ will bring back the living to wake up the dead. I love this. The fourth chapter... Christ will bring back the dead. Christ will bring back, no, excuse me. Christ will bring back the living to wake up the dead. And what do you mean by that? I mean, our loved ones that have fallen asleep in Jesus, their bodies sleep here, but they're alive there. Our loved ones are alive with Jesus now. And when Jesus returns, the living will come to wake up the dead. The dead, the sleeping, shall rise first, and we which are alive and remaining shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to bring our loved ones with him. The living, God's the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. Amen. God is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead. All live unto him. If someone knows Christ, they, their body fell asleep, they're in the graveyard, they're with Jesus Christ, they're alive. And when Jesus Christ does come back, he's coming back and he will bring with him the living to wake up the dead. What? He'll bring back the living that's with him that sleep down here on the earth to give the living that have died and fell asleep in Jesus to give them a brand new body. Isn't that good? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that is, dead in the graveyard, that's sleeping dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus died and rose again? Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Them that sleep in the graveyard, well, Jesus, God, bring with him when he comes. The living's coming to wake up the dead. Hello. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remaining shall be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, if you're going to tell people you're going to go through hell and Antichrist is going to grind you to powder and God's going to pound you and you're going to be hit with hailstones 150 pounds apiece and you're going to starve to death and your children are going to burn and the grass is going to burn up and demons are going to roam the earth and, and, and all hell's broke out on earth, you can't comfort people with that kind of message. Hello? That, that's true. You can't do it. And we need to understand that when Jesus Christ comes, you say, yeah, what about that verse 16? The trump of God. Oh, God's so poverty-stricken, he only has one trumpet? Well, you got to hook that into the trumpets of the revelation. Really? Really? It says, with the trump of God. And the scripture teaches in, the, in the, the language of the Bible, the trump means his voice will sound like a trumpet. But that doesn't mean God has a shortage of trumpets. And you say, but it's the last trump. The first Corinthians chapter 15 says the last trump. Yeah, the last trump for the church. When I went to school, I was always waiting for the last bell to ring. But that didn't mean I didn't have to go back to school. Oh, blessed day, blessed day, the day that I heard it ring for the last time. And I didn't come back. Not going back. I said, well, preacher, you need to go back. Stay out of my preaching. I'm not going back. Thank you. I've got a little bit of support here. So I love school. I really enjoyed school. You'll be delivered someday. <laughs> we want kids to love school, but when they get grown up, then they can understand. Right? The fifth verse. It's another promise. The fifth verse is in chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. There's five chapters. Here's chapter 5, verse 9. This is the fifth verse. Verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not have an appointment with God's wrath. One day God will pour out his wrath upon this planet, and we are not appointed to be here. God is going to remove us. Before he pours out his wrath upon the earth, God is going to remove his church, take us home, so shall we ever be of the Lord. And then Israel's always wanting signs. Well, there's one sign given, and I believe that sign. Jesus Christ spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and he rose again from the grave. He died for me. He shed his blood for me on the cross of Calvary. He died. He was buried. He rose again, and that's the one big sign, and that sign's taking me all the way home. That's the sign of the church. But Israel rejected that sign. So God's pretty much saying, okay, you want signs? I'm going to give you signs running out your nose. And they're getting some of them signs now. Amen? Well, I believe the church needs to go through half the great tribulation, or at least 
post-trib or great tribulation, I believe that God will keep us. He'll cover us. I believe that God will protect us during the great tribulation like he protected Noah. Really? When you read the book of Revelation, tribulation saints are beheaded. Tribulation saints die of starvation. They're burned. They're drowned. They're destroyed. They're, they're, they're crucified. They're, they're mutilated by the tens of thousands. God must not be keeping them very good if they're the church, but they're not the church. They are tribulation saints. When you hear the word saint, don't always think, well, saint just always means the church. There's Old Testament saints. There's born-again saints, the church. There's tribulation saints. There's Jewish born-again saints in the great tribulation. There's 144,000 saints. There's the two witnesses, Old Testament saints. There's the millennial saints. So just understand that the church of Jesus Christ is promised by our Father in heaven that he would not appoint us unto his wrath. We have not an appointment with God's wrath. Did you hear me? We are not appointed to God's wrath. You say, well, don't we all have an appointment of death? Yes, but there is a group of people that will even vacate that appointment. When Jesus descends from heaven with a shout, he'll cancel that appointment. It's kind of like overruled. I mean, when Jesus died and rose again from the grave, he overruled the grave. He overruled death. And when Jesus Christ descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and, uh, alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be the Lord. He's overruling. Amen. Man. Now, let's look at a Old Testament scripture, and I'm just about done, but let's look at an Old Testament scripture that kind of alludes it. You can see it. The, the prophet couldn't see it, but this Old Testament prophet kind of alludes to the, to the um, removal of a group of people that would not die. And it's found in Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter, I wrote it down here, chapter twenty. Six, the last six verses. Isaiah chapter 26, the last six verses, beginning with verse 16. Now, this is Isaiah alluding to the possibility of a rapture, a group of people removed from the earth. Now, he didn't see it, but we can look back and see it because of the info we have now. Look at what he says in verse 16. Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. That's Judah. They is Judah. God visited Judah. Lord, in trouble they have visited thee. Judah visits, visits God. They pour out their prayers when, they, when thy chastening was upon them. Like a woman with child that draweth near the time of her de delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pains. So have we been in thy sight, 
O Lord. Now you can connect that to Revelation chapter 12, the woman giving birth to the man-child. Then it says in verse 18, we have been with child, Jesus. We have been to a child. We have been in pain, and they still are. We have, as it were, brought forth wind, meaning we, we have achieved nothing. We're sitting over there in the land of Israel, and we have achieved absolutely nothing. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. We're just trying to exist, Israel. Neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. The world hasn't been destroyed. One day it will be. Notice verse 19. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body. Now, my dead body is not Isaiah. This is Isaiah prophesying. Thy dead men shall live, those that have died that, that knows God, together with Jesus' body. With my body. It's a prophecy. Dead men shall live together with Jesus. My dead body shall they arise. Along with my dead body, I arose from the grave. I'm bringing a group of people out, out of the grave because I died. Jesus Christ, this is a prophecy. Jesus Christ died because of my dead body. I was put in the grave. I rose again. Many that are dead shall rise again. And when I arise... Dead body shall they arise to awaken, seeing ye that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Taken off the planet, secure position before the wrath of God. Verse 20. Come, my people. That's born again saints. Come, my people. Enter thou into thy chambers. Shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Wrath of God. Go into your place of safety. Go into your room of safety. Go into your place where you have chambers, your presence of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go into the presence of the Lord. Shut the door. Remember... We're caught up into heaven. The door is open. We're caught up into heaven. That door is opened again later on. But we're caught up through that door. We go in for a moment, seven-year great tribulation, until the wrath be overpassed, verse 20. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place. What's he coming to do? To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth shall... Shall also disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Tribulation. Now, Isaiah didn't understand that. It was a something alluded to, it was concealed, a mystery. God, how many know? Birth in the New Testament church wasn't a second thought of Jesus. 
How many know that when Jesus Christ turned from the Jews and turned to the Gentiles to build him a church, that wasn't plan B. That was still plan A. We get it in our head, well, Jesus came and plan A, you know, the Jews rejected him, so now he has plan B. No, it's always been plan A. In fact, God don't have any plan B. For God to have a plan B, it means he fails, and God don't fail. His plan A, as they used to say about a show we used to watch years ago, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> Amen? And we're on the A-team. Amen? And we've got a few Mr. T's in the church. <laughs> I want you to understand that it would be inconsistent for Jesus Christ to return and destroy people's lives when the church is still here. Just not that way. Jesus is not a life destroyer. He will give everybody opportunity. Remember, I mentioned in the roundtable discussion, I think Carl sent word back Revelation 15. I haven't looked to see if that's where it is, but it talked about how no, no one could go into the temple. And God was in the temple, and he spoke out of the temple. And, and, he, and there was a time that God was there in the temple, and the angels were about to pour out their final judgment upon the earth, and God goes into the temple. No one can go in there. He's in there crying. He's in there hurting because he doesn't want to do what he's about to do. Oh, we've got a happy God. We've got a good God. And one day he's going to come and take us home. Amen? He said, well, it ain't bad enough for us to be raptured yet. Who says? Well, it's got to get a lot worse before the rapture takes place. Really? Jesus Christ said, this thing will avalanche at a time when you think not. This thing will ignite like gasoline to fire. This thing will ignite and explode overnight. Darkness will come immediately in a second and twinkle an eye will be gone. This thing will happen when people are eating, drinking, giving in marriage, building, doing their thing, and they knew not until in Noah's day the flood came. They knew not until Sodom and Gomorrah was burned. You know, it's not so much the signs of Israel becoming a nation that concerns me, although I'm glad they become a nation. Someone argues the fact, well, the people in Israel over there right now are not really Israel. They're not the old Israel. They're, you know, they're imposters, the people that live in Israel. They're not really Israelis, really. You're trying to tell me that in the day of DNA? They're Jews. Hello. But what we need to understand is that when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to vacate his church. He's going to, he's going to remove his church because the ambassador's got to come home before war is declared on planet earth. And God will, will declare war on planet earth. And when he declares war on planet Earth, he's coming. Now, it may look like, you know, it'd be a lot more time left. I want you to understand that 
what's happening over there. Very few people know what's going on over in Israel. Very few people know. Very, in fact, a lot of people could care less, and they're, they're, they're riding in our colleges, and they don't know the difference between Jacob and Israel. They don't know the difference between Abraham and Ishmael. Hello. In our day and time, they don't know the difference, difference between Adam and Steve. Hello. They're trying to figure out what kind of sex they are. They can't even pull up their pants. Pardon me. As the days of Noah were, it's, it'll be bad. And it will. It is bad now. But we need to understand that the economies and the things that's happening, you say, well, we're going to be caught um, mid-trib. Mid-trib? Really? Mid-trib, really? Well, we may be in the mid-trib now. Really? Has a third of the planet died? Really? Has a third of the planet burned up? Really? Has the Antichrist stepped forward and blasphemed God? Really? No, it hasn't happened. And it's not going to happen until the church is caught up to meet Jesus in the air. And then it starts. Isn't that good? A lot of folks argue with this pre-trib, pre-rapture. They argue about it because they've already had in their mind uploaded by other preachers that idea. They've always had, they've already been downloaded with those thoughts, and they can't think of changing their, their opinion or changing their ways. Let me tell you, friends, when I was a young preacher, a very young preacher, I believed in a mid-trib. I believed that God would come in the middle of the great tribulation for the church when I was a young preacher. But after I got into the scriptures and started it out and looking it over, there ain't no way. There is no possible way that the church is going to go through any part of the seventh, 70th week of the seven years of Daniel, the great tribulation. No way possible. We're leaving before. We're leaving. I mean, we're going. Amen. And me and Jimmy will probably bring some more of that out. You got, Revel you got Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. You got uh, Revelation 3, verse 16. You got Revelation 3, verse 10, the verses we shared now. You, you got uh, the church in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Uh, it's caught up in the presence of the sea of glass, in the presence of God. The church is no longer mentioned again until the end of Revelation. Over and over, we look at it, and we see the great truths of God. Amen? And then you have those that believe in the post-trip. So what's the post-trip? That means Jesus is just going to come back at the end, and he's going to catch us all up into the clouds, the church, and then we're just going to come straight back down to earth. I call that the elevator theory. Going up going down. Why even catch them up if you're going to come down to the ground to begin with? And why be caught up in the clouds of the air and then be come back down to earth? What's the point? It makes no sense. But what makes all sense is that God is going to keep us from the hour that shall come upon the whole world to try us. He'll keep us 
from the great wrath of God. Isn't that good? Amen. Hope you enjoyed tonight. Nimmer, good to have you with us. Amen. Let's all stand. Josh's going to come bring a song. There'll be people fuss about it. Oh, we got to go through the tribulation. Oh, the church has got to reveal the Antichrist. Trust me. Trust me. The church doesn't have to do no such thing. He'll reveal himself to everybody. He'll be outspoken. So, well, I don't believe the Lord's going to come quietly and it's going to be a secret and we're just going to be gone and don't want to know it. Trust me. It'll be loud. It'll be destructive, and the whole world will know it when we're taken up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It won't be no secret. It won't be quiet. It will be, it, it'll be fiercely devastating to the earth when we're gone. Amen? Josh, go ahead.